In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. I'm going to start with a little quote. Use the force, Luke. <laughs> this is not something that I just overheard at the Ungers. <laughs> As Father Andrew and Deacon Joy pursued their vocation of parenting. Use the force, Luke. Let go. It's a scene from Star Wars, the one and only later to be known as Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, which, as many of you cannot remember, because you weren't even born in 1977 when it first came out, it put a very real hope into the hearts of many of those of us who were seeking for spiritual truths, value, goodness, and beauty in life. I was not a Christian in 1977 when this uh, movie hit my heart. I was in my mid to late 20s and I'd reached the top of a profession which I'd entered 10 years earlier when I was in my mid to late teens. And yet I was already experiencing that ache, that sense that there must be something even more when you feel the imbalance of being at the top of that wall and wondering if the ladder you climbed was really put in the right place to begin with. Value, goodness, beauty, truth. In this scene, in these words, I found it. Use the force, Luke. Let go. Trust me. I knew the force. What I did not know then was what on earth the Lord Jesus, who was crucified for my transgressions and raised for my justification, had in mind for me. I knew, however, that when I saw that scene, Luke Skywalker racing his X-wing under duress, seeking the crevice in the Death Star's armor, with Darth Vader in close pursuit, his father, who he didn't know, when he squints and squirms and struggles to match the crude grid on his pull-down viewfinder with the rich and complex reality which is streaming by so quickly. I've got to say, it's a tremendously compelling narrative, superb production design that makes us forget that many of the greatest shots in this sequence were taken from the back of a pickup truck, driving through a huge model in the back lot, shooting day for night under the hot California sun. It's just magic. Use the force, Luke. Let go. Trust me. And at this point, as you remember, Luke simply lifts the viewfinder lifts it over his head and switches it off. His computer's off. You can hear the edge in the control tower's query. Luke, you switched off your targeting computer. What's wrong? And the warmth and confidence in Luke's reply, nothing. I'm all right. I, from this distance, have no doubt that this scene was fundamental in leading me within a few years to enter a church for the first time and within a few years after that 
very short time, in fact, to approach the priest and inquire about baptism to begin a journey home. If I were to say that in the three and a half decades of the experience of church I have had since then, that it has not been more often than not an eager, sincere and misguided attempt to shove that viewfinder right back down in front of my face, I would have to stop and admit that I too have tended to do the very same thing to others again and again. Substitute the clean, clear abstraction for the actual experience in all its messy complexity. When the hounds of heaven found me and I found faith, I soon reached out for dogma. And as clear and as strong as I could find it in the Reformed tradition. And faced with the complexity of scripture and the utter clarity of the Westminster Catechism or Calvin's glorious institutes, Calvin wins every time. There are answers in there for questions you don't even need to ask. That's the glory of the Reformed tradition. It's also the trouble you get when that glorious tradition hits our human weakness. Today's texts speak to this, and again and again. It has been our text, the texts of Scripture, not what the church collectively has made of them, God honoring, although that is, and sought to enforce on others. It is these pure texts of the word of God, heard in their own context, divinely dig dictated as they are, I believe, in word-for-word -word verbal inspiration. That's what you get as an artist, and nothing less. You get the thing given to you, complete, to take and put on the paper. I don't believe God does any less for his inspired listeners, who were inspired truly and these texts meaning more than their first authors and original audiences ever dreamed of that ring true and ring free where the church muzzles and muffles and dampens their resonance. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And the Spirit is the one who testifies. The Spirit is the truth. The Spirit as in inspiration. God's Spirit speaking to our spirit. How? Because unlike Luke, bound to air traffic control by flight plans and coordinates, relying entirely on mechanical simulations, best case, best case scenarios designed to eliminate the human factor altogether with all its fallibility, the spirit speaks to a different part of us, a different brain, if you like. Not the left so much, where the church lives, but the right brain, where the church is at prayer. One not tightly focused on the task at hand, a model of pure rationality, scouring the scene for something known, something specific, but one loosened up, pulled back, scanning the whole picture, tensely waiting for something to pop up and jump out, surprise us and say, here I am, the truth. Tense waiting, yes. That's Luther's phrase for hope, tense waiting expectation. Now that's a fine line away from fear, but you have to let go of fear 
to play this game. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Servants or friends, what's the difference? The difference between the two, again, is fear. Fear motivates the servant, the doulos, the slave, but the friend is motivated by hope, tense waiting. Fear makes us work so that we can get the work over and done with, punch out that clock and put it behind us, like factory work or the slavery that's undergone in so many of today's workplaces, white collar or blue collar. But hope sets the work always standing before us as an example of what can be done, of what it is that is possible when heart and soul have been factored into it, when we so identify the visions and goals of our master that we would give our lives for them. When we work with the God who set these visions in our heart as co-creators, as trusted friends, when we work like artists, not like wage earners. It's about trust. Do we trust the God we serve is the question, especially when he offers us his friendship. Do we do the same when we serve the people God loves, offer them our friendship, our love? Or are we so caught up with our dogmas, worrying only that we get our own life straight, that we forget to help other people put theirs in God's order. We hear a lot these days of words of warning about the dangers that attend people who get too close to one another in the church, in the world. I appreciate this. I certainly have an acute sense of those dangers and they are real. But the answer is not to pull back, proceed according to some kind of checklist or technical manual, become consummate professionals, following patterns devised for practitioners of the human sciences, not of theology. If that were possible, without empathy, intuition, openness to the unexpected movements of the spirit that you hope and pray is holy, you are missing the whole thing. Now, our feelings can mislead us, and people are going to be led astray, to discover their loneliness in one another and then find their togetherness in ways they should not. But without letting go, and hopefully, prayerfully, letting God go through it with you and channel his love through your love, taking the requisite risks on himself, taking pains, yes, and also causing pain, but then repairing and restoring, going through a thousand anxieties and even agonies. Without this, you remain detached, disengaged, and uncommitted. Our task is not to love, but to look at the hope of those we love and make that hope that they have more important even than any hope we have for ourselves. When we set the other first in God's love and in God's sight and in God's strength, there are certain sense of protection, purity even, 
that can allow us to open our hearts. Serving diligently, dutifully is fine, but if you do not also serve wholeheartedly, unreservedly, and enthusiastically with your whole heart and mind and soul, you have not delivered the one thing that God is seeking to deliver through you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. We have his promise that whatever is sown in love, no matter how meager the harvest here to us, how little of that love ever comes back, or how bitter the fruit, that love will abide, take up root and flourish on the other side. We sow the field of love with the sweat of our brow and water it with our tears, but it will burst forth in glory. We do not leave this earth then as we find it a desert, just as we do not serve a hard master. We are friends with God, and in his friendship we patiently and gently till this earth back into fruition. Love is the key, and it's the key that unlocks the prison door of servitude and allows God, our Redeemer, who delivered us from the power of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his Son as we prayed, to lead us to that place in which love and only love abides, because we have dared to open our hearts. Open our hearts and open our hands to receive this love, as Henry, as Henry Nouwen says in his book of that name, with open hands, and I quote, Dear God, speak gently in my silence. When the loud outer noises of my surroundings and the loud inner noises of my fears keep pulling me away from you, help me to trust that you are still there, even when I am unable to hear you, give me ears to listen to your small, soft voice saying, Come to me, you who are overburdened, and I will give you rest, for I am gentle and humble of heart. Let that loving voice be my guide. Unquote. Amen. <laughs>